Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Morning. How are we all? Somebody's sprightly this morning. Wonder who that could be. So I am up with the larks. It's morning where I am. It's probably not where all of you are listening, you know, because we're a very international audience. I've had my cereal. I didn't eat it on air because I'm a good little podcaster and I listen to you listeners and you don't like me eating. And I have had a spot of coffee in case you hadn't noticed. But what I want is more coffee. So I'm going to text my husband. Hello. May you bring coffee? I've had a text from Dunelm saying that my soft furnishings are arriving. I've ordered two cushions. They'll be arriving today. Cushion in, it's not an actual cushion. Otherwise, I would go into intense detail to describe it to you listeners. How are we all? How was your platy jubes, as everybody says? Mine was lovely, thanks. Now you ask. It's a, it's a long time, isn't it? Four days to be celebrating something. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm a 24-hour celebration guy. I think that four days into anything it all gets a little much if it's a birthday or or even a wedding uh i don't know day two i'm over it can anyone relate am i just being a curmudgeon i love all the daytime stuff it's just the staying up late stuff i can't do the late night stuff on night two i'm sorry i'm sorry okay other big news in the uh sweeney mcdonald household aside from my darling daughter is Ridley, I'm looking at a very sad little doggy who has had two teeth out. And he's been to the doctor and he's literally got a bandage on his foot from where they gave him general anaesthetic. And he's all sad and he's sitting in his bed, all kind of spaced out. And it's very, very sweet. Poor little thing. We've been having lots of attention. He's soft food only for the week. He won't have sore teeth anymore, so it's a good thing. But it just breaks your heart seeing them all incapacitated. I can't believe it. I hate the dentist. I was in there all the time as a kid. Most people get however many teeth? 30? I got 400. There was always new teeth coming out, sprouting out here, there, everywhere. My dad actually had a tooth growing out of the roof of his mouth when he was a kid, which was literally, I'm not joking, the 1940s, so God knows what they did with it then. Probably just took a hammer to it. But this isn't... A dentist podcast, my dear friends. It is an actual Homo sapiens podcast, the world from Urquia 
perspective. Let me tell you all about this week's episode. We are continuing our mega pride lineup and we've got Rev Richard Coles on the show today. He is one of the most famous vicars in the UK. He is one of the funniest people in the UK. I'm going to call him a national treasure. Although, did you see on the Platitubes TV coverage how everyone who came on, they said, I'm here with national treasure. And it was like, you know, sometimes it was stretching it a little. Rev Richard Coles, on the other hand, he's certainly a queer national treasure. I think he's a national treasure. Star of Strictly, he was in the bloody communards, for God's sake. So it's one of the sort of pioneers of queer pop, that's for sure. And now is uh, presenting Saturday Kitchen on Radio 4, not Saturday Kitchen, Saturday Live, sorry, which I listen to every week and still can't get the name right. And he's got a book out called Murder Evening Song. As I turn around to check my bookshelf. It's brilliant. I've read it. I can highly recommend it. And anyway, he is just a lovely man and just talks really honestly about grief um, because he lost his darling husband, David, and he's written beautiful books uh, over the years, one of which is about grief, really. So we're going to have a good old gas, capital G, capital O, capital G on that. Can't wait for you to hear that. And did you listen to last week's episode? It's got such a wonderful reaction from you all. Just don't think we've had a reaction like that to an episode, actually. It's where we sort of did Pride in schools. And Mr. Matley and Leah uh, were our first guests for the first half, which was sort of like an expanded Meet the Listener thing, talking about Mr. Matley's amazing sort of LGBT inclusion scheme at his school and Leah and how she found it as a pupil and how it's changed her life. And then the second half, the kids took over Homo Sapiens and Hillcrest Primary School created their very own Pride podcast about what pride means to the pupils, the teachers, and the kids did the whole thing. They ran the whole thing. It was flipping. No need to swear, Christopher. It was flipping brilliant. So thank you for your lovely messages. I'll have a read of some in a sec. Before I do that, don't forget to get in touch. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com at Instagram homosapiens. Now, a bit of stirring from puppy. I've put him in his basket in front of the fire so he stays nice and warm. Lots of like (sighs) noises, you know, they do a big sigh out. And then a bit of, um... Let's have a look at emails. Okay, so Thomas. Hello, Thomas. Thank you for writing in. Well, that episode was a brilliant start to Pride Month. Talking about the school's one. Great to hear from pupils, teachers and parents talking about their experiences as members and allies of the LGBTQ plus community. The pupils podcast of Hillcrest was excellent. The part where they were talking about the LGBTQ plus person they admire completely subverted my expectation. I thought they'd name this celebrity or that famous figure, but to hear them say their uncle, their aunt's godparents' mum was so heartwarming. Having gone through school in the 90s and early 2000s under Section 28, it's great to see the progress made in this area. Lovely. It's so true, isn't it, Thomas? Like, I particularly loved that bit. And heartwarming is the word. It was just a magical thing. I remember when I first heard it, I was just so struck by how eloquent they all were. It was just incredible. Greg then got in touch. Greg is in America, I'm going to say, which is really interesting context once you read the message. Um, This is about Hillcrest Primary School podcast. It was a truly jaw-dropping episode. Greg, stop. With each question, I grew more amazed that the students could be so poised and thought-provoking. I certainly would not have been at their age, even if such a resource had been a possibility back then. It makes me so hopeful and yet so sad to know that if anything like this were made in the US, it would be Fox News fodder for weeks. That's so interesting, Greg. 
Thank you so much for sharing this and all that you do. And thank goodness podcasts haven't been banned here yet and can reach people who need them. Too right. Gin Soaked Fool has also been in touch. Sounds like one or two of my exes. Um, That's a joke. I don't mean that by any of my exes. It's just an open goal of a joke. I don't mean it. I don't mean it. On Instagram, uh, about the Arthur Parkinson episode. So, so many of you have been in touch by Arthur's episode, actually, as well. I adored listening to your chat, says Jin Soakful. Arthur's unhindered honesty surrounding his depression was so helpful and relatable. If you ever stop making this podcast, I shall wear black and wander the streets in a veil like a grief-stricken Italian nonna. Oh, I mean, for the black lace alone, I'm in, Jin Soakful. Arthur, a lot of people got in touch, which I thought was really interesting because Arthur's very open about his depression, as far as I know. A lot of you got in touch saying you knew Arthur, but you didn't know that that side of him. And it was really helpful to see that side of him and hear him speak in that way. It helped you understand him more. He is so open. I just am just amazed by Arthur and his complete capability to be open and honest. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. And I'm really pleased it connected with you. Uh, then we, <laughs> so we, then we were asking you on Instagram, these are so good. What's some, these are so good. I can't, I can't even go into it. Well, I can, I'm about to. So we shared this, uh, question from someone that they had shared on Twitter, Gabby Hannah. I think it came from Gabby Hannah, but you know, when people share things, you're never quite sure who the source is. I'm trying to attribute it correctly, but uh, yeah, Gabby Hannah. What's some dumb as fuck shit you believed as a dumb as fuck kid? Lots of swearing in there. I'll start. I thought that every time you heard a song on the radio that the artist was singing it right then live at a radio station somewhere. So you all wrote in so many funny ones. Mandarinen Kirchen said, I also believe that clouds were made by chimneys. I totally thought that. I can't believe you did as well. And I'd totally forgotten that. Because you'd look up and you would see a cloud above a chimney. Like I literally can do it now. And it was so logical. And it's logic, isn't it? Um, this person also says, I thought you could walk on clouds if you got above them. I cried when I found out the truth. Oh, bless. Also makes complete sense. Annie says... I thought llamas had two heads as one is each end because of Dr. Doolittle, I was 13. Annie, I'm so pleased you say that because I thought they did as well. And because they were called push me, pull me's, weren't they? I didn't, it's so funny you say that you thought it was and you were 13. Like it went on for a long time for me and I was too scared to ask. And I was like, that's a llama, but I'm sure there is a two headed version of that. And I was never actually able to remember that it was from Dr. Doolittle until many years later. I think I must have watched it again. Um, Nicola says, I used to think the instrumental bit of a song was your chance to sing it to yourself. Brilliant. I mean, I'll take the whole song to sing to myself. Robert says, when I was a kid, mum let me enter the smart art phone competition. I remember the answer was paper. When it went through to the pre-recorded voicemail, I thought Kirsten O'Brien would pick up the phone. I had an asthma attack because I thought she was waiting to pick up the calls. Oh, bless. The excitement was palpable. Craig says, I thought when films were black and white that the world was also black and white. That's hysterical, Craig. Well, that's, you know, the olden days. They always talked about the olden days. When you grow up, you're like, oh, that was literally 10 years before I was born. A kid said it to me the other day, actually. They talked about the olden days. And I was like, wrestling, thinking, hmm. sort of Spice Girls album 2 era, but fine. Haley says, I thought it was illegal to have your interior light on when driving. And well, I mean... It's not illegal, Haley, is it? But have you tried driving with it on? You can't see a bloody thing. And also, I bet that was a parent who told you that because 
uh, we always used to want to turn on the light in our car. And I remember my dad was always like, no, you can't, um, because he couldn't see anything. But I don't know why we wanted to. I suppose we wanted to read. Weren't smartphones back then, would you believe it? In the olden days. Print 71 says, I thought the lady at the register in the supermarket got to keep all the money. Makes complete sense. I remember saying, when someone said to me, what did I want to be when I was older, when I was a little kid? I said, I would like to be a burglar because you got everything for free. Yeah, made complete logical sense like your supermarket thing. 511 Fork says, the crispy bit in peanut butter were, were horse's hooves. Oh my God, your sisters are so naughty. He says, thanks, sisters. My sister, if you're listening, she does actually listen. She told me mouth ulcers, you have to squeeze them. How mean is that? So I was squeezing this mouth ulcer till it bled. God bless sisters, hey? Bjorn says, I thought Santa Claus the movie was a documentary. Deadly serious. Bjorn, I love that. Those are hysterical. I love them. Thank you so much for writing those in. Let's go have a listen to this chat with Reverend Richard Coles. Reverend Richard Coles. I love it. I love him. I love you. I love you all. This is great. Have a listen. You're beautifully dressed in gilets of high distinction. Oh, well, you've got paint marks on it. I don't know what that is. Well, um, I dread to think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get it where you can. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I cannot tell you how excited I am. You are such a huge part of my life. Every Saturday morning, you are the soundtrack of my life. Well, that's very nice to know. Slightly concerned that you're not having more fun in your life so that you're not... <laughs> Actually conscious at nine o'clock Saturday morning, but that's for you, right? That's what I call fun. How are you? Very well. Thank you. I've had my first day off today mm-hmm. in a very long time. So mm-hmm. I went to have lunch with my friend Mrs. H, who is a spectacular mm-hmm. cook, but a little absent-minded. So she made risotto, but she forgot to add the rice. Ah. So we had a sort of soup. And then she <laughs> she could tell that something was wrong, but she had to really kind of gather herself before... I didn't feel it was my place to say that normally risotto is a rice-based dish and maybe mm. some rice at least would, would, would give it you know, a bit of body. And then she put it to one side and we had smoked trout pâté instead. Okay, did she remember the toast with the pâté? That oh, Everything else went well, but she just forgot to put the rice in the risotto. I mean, she literally stood there ladling hot stock in and stirring away, but she literally mm. forgot to put the rice in. Yeah, it's not a dish of many ingredients. How are you at cooking? I do love cooking. It's one of my favourite... I like it because I like eating, which is a good motivation, obviously. But also I like it because you can do the whole process from shopping to eating, indeed to washing up and putting away, and all under your own steam. And it gives me a glow of achievement if it goes okay. Are you a cooker for yourself or are you a cooker for you want to cook for others? Um, I cook for, I have to cook for anybody. But one of the things of, so lockdown, of course, and bereavement Mm. came at the same time as me. So instead of cooking for Mm. two, which was the minimum, plus obviously scraps for dogs, I was cooking for one. And I thought, there's something so bleak about getting meals for one from the supermarket. I thought I just refused to do it. So I cooked what I would normally cook, put on a stone and had to buy a new freezer. But (laughs) better that than live on some lonely lasagna you know yes i want to talk about your book a bit i just i just thought it was fantastic and i love the vivid way you describe people and things and um there's a lovely actually food related moment where where someone says would you like a sun-dried tomato and i just thought it was such a (laughs) 
lovely skewing of middle-class British people. Well, also, uh, the book is set in 1988. So mm. you have a sort of, it's like a game of Pelmanism. You try to remember <laughs> the tray of things that you would have held in 1988. And of course, I was living in Islington, London's fashionable Islington, in 1988. Yes. And everywhere you went, it was sun-dried tomatoes until they were coming mm. out of your ears. So I needed to get sun-dried tomatoes in there. It's just a little... I hesitate to compare it to Proust's Madeleine, for that would be entirely wrong. But I do think there's something about a sun-dried tomato that just screams late 80s to me. Yes. And the way that English people talk to each other, you just capture beautifully. Thank like, you. Is that something you enjoy observing? I mean, it's for being a vicar, really. Uh, yeah, I love mm. patterns of speech, and I love the mm. way... There's a lovely, where I live in Findon, which is not a place that many people know about because it's in a part of England that not even Cinderella would have spent any time in, I think. <laughs> it's one of the, it's the flyover state, Northamptonshire of, of England. Um, and its people are, are kind of modest and sometimes one might even say taciturn, but there is a comedy in the patterns of speech that mm. just makes me laugh. I, was like, there's, I was, went for a walk the other day and I was down a back alley. There was a hand-painted sign outside someone's backyard and it just said clean up after your dug <laughs> and i just thought that's nice that someone had bothered to paint a sign but had painted it in the idiom of finding rather than in i love that Queen's english it also there's a lovely bit where you talk about with the congregation that once the once the whistle of hearing aids had died down <laughs> Then you were able to start. A familiar it? sound to any clergy person, I can tell you, is the sort of symphony of feedback that you get before people find the tea loop. It's all about finding the tea <laughs> loop, Chris. And in a very real sense, aren't we all searching for the tea loop? Oh, God, yeah. And have <laughs> I found it? Have I, heck? Yeah. Keep searching. No Keep looking. Yeah. But it's funny when you talk about, uh, we talk about you know how people talk to each other because i always remember um noel gallagher doing an interview about his divorce and he said he had to go for dinner with his barrister who was this very sort of smart english woman and um silence had fallen over the table because they just really had nothing to say to each other over this lunch and then she went do you ski <laughs> <laughs> and he, he said it became this sort of catchphrase in their house and whenever it went silent they go do you ski, do you ski? <laughs> Well, it's very good. The thing is also, if you're a vicar, and quite often you find yourself in social situations where people are, A, a little tongue-tied, and mm. B, anxious to be on their best behaviour. And so, mm. you know, rich opportunities for comedy arise with almost every conversation of Sally. And, uh, <laughs> yes. and I think I've always had an ear tuned to that kind of thing. I, mean, I love Victoria Woods. She's one of my favourite writers. Yeah. And I think no one has an ear for that quite like her. Of course, she grew up in a part of the world where... I have a friend, well, she's just, she's dead now, actually, she's a lovely woman, mother of a friend of mine. And um, she lived in Honfirth in Yorkshire. And she was mm -hmm. terribly Yorkshire, wonderful cook. And uh, I remember going around and her best friend turned up. And it was like being in a sort of sketch by Victoria Wood, the way these two women sort of talked to each other. I remember her, she cut a slice of cake and she said, oh, Nelly, you do get quite a slice of cake on a knife, don't you? And everything was like that, just slight, <laughs> just tiny little tart note to everything and uh, yes. yeah she was great i love that it's sort of individual personality and the way that people communicate is so 
It's lovely. You do it as well, though. You have such a wonderful turn of phrase. Thank you. It's it's heavenly to it's, read and to listen to. It's also combat, you see. And I think it's mm. one of the, you know, if diplomacy is, is, is war by other means, then I think social conversation in the sort of Church of England circles is also a kind of form of, it's combat, but of the seemliest kind, because we are competitive creatures. And mm-hmm. whenever we interact with each other, we, you know, banter, and there's all sorts of kind of currents and dynamics going on in there, which, which fascinate me. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I hosted this podcast for a long time with Alan Cumming, and one of the things we would talk about is the difference between the way the English communicate and where the Scottish communicate. And the English, the level of bloody subtext in everything, I find so exhausting. (laughs) And I'm really trying not to do it because it's it's ingrained in you. And it's not just the English, but, you know. I'll tell you what, even worse than the English are Parisians. I lived in Paris for a while in the 1980s. And I just would realise, I would get to the end of the day and I'd be fatigued, like like a wet flannel and i couldn't think why because i hadn't really done anything and then i realized mm. it was just the sheer effort of decoding all those kind of levels of doubleness and tripleness and quadrupleness and quintupleness really? that happen okay. in french yes toujours la politesse you know that um, right. but of course you, you look at other cultures you think oh aren't they funny but then of course you realize you are deeply steeped in your own culture which has its own weirdness too i know and if you can't spot your own weirdness you're really screwed because yeah. it's like there's definitely there so you need to start learning what it is and, and somebody wow. else will you know so you might as yes. well beat them to it well because you're driving other people mad aren't you if, if you know if you can't spot it yeah. and uh, i always remember when i was in so i'm a director in my other life and um i used to direct commercials in france and they all used to think I couldn't speak any French. So they used to slag me off in the truck oh. when we were going places. <laughs> like, well, I can actually really understand what you're saying, but I don't really. But the thing is, the French, even if they're being nice about you, is like being slagged off, isn't it? Because <laughs> everything is. You didn't do, Papa, Nicole, Papa, 
Nicole. No, I wish I had. That Renault Clio ad. Do you remember remember? it? Who could forget it? We were, I had a very gratifying spike in a royalty a while ago. And I found out that it was because one of our songs from yesteryear had been used in an advertisement. I think it was for Peugeot in France or something. Uh So a little, not a torrent exactly, but a gush of euros appeared in my otherwise trickling royalty stream <laughs> so do how does that work are you asked your permission if no. they want to use a song no it happened to me well i got a, another gratifying spike and i phoned up the person who does those things and i said i oh, know sort of thing they said yeah it's used in an advert and of course you're always flattered that someone mm. would bother to use your music for, for anything at all and i was sort of preening a little bit and then I said, what's it for? And he said, it's the NHS have made a film advising about the dangers of obesity. <laughs> well, at least they didn't say Trump rally. No, that's true. I mean, I think you can. <laughs> I mean, if that were to happen, of course, you would raise a protest. But no, you can't. as long as they pay you, that's all they have to do. I, I think when I'm dead, I've just been doing my will and mm-hmm. back catalogue of one kind or another forms part of that so maybe the people who run the estate then decide which could be oh gosh hours of fun in that that could be a very competitive process couldn't it oh that's uh, there's a plot in that i'll work on it there is another there's another book um there's already another book actually is there yes have you started writing it? i've started book two yes and i'm very excited about it now is it a similar murder mystery type thing it's a murder mystery it's a little bit further on in the story and because I'd never written a novel before or crime fiction mm. before, I kind of larded it generously with the opportunities for future stories. And Wonderful. overdid it, actually, I think. So on every page, there's something where you think, well, that's going well, that may be book 14. But one of them has, has been a profitable piece of lard. And right. I'm right stuck in it at the moment. Well, people will call it the Colaverse or something. Oh, gosh, that would be good. Imagine having a whole verse named after one. The Harry Potter is called the Potterverse, isn't it? Because there's so much. Not, not. Uh, like, I kind of missed it. I because I was not reading. Too. I suppose it was what for children and young adults, and I wasn't reading that stuff much. But I rather wilt at the prospect of wizardry. I don't really. Yeah, put pointy hat and a staff, and I'm out. Really, it's not. I prefer <laughs> guns and car chases. Okay, that kind of right. thing. Fast and Furious. Do you watch them then? I can't quite go that far. I need. I mean, The Sopranos, that sort of thing. Long-form serial drama about the sort of everyday lives of New Jersey mob, that kind of thing works for me. I like boy stuff in films. It was a big problem. My my, my partner, David, um, who is now with us, but we used to... Mm. He only really liked Legally Blonde and Ugly Betty. Mm -hmm. And I really... And I used to have to negotiate. So if I was allowed a match of the day, but it would be two ugly ugly betters or illegally blonde. I know every word of that film, I think, Chris, because (laughs) I had to catch up, keep up with the football. He was a man after my own heart because I'm much more the... Ugly Betty, Legally Blonde, or more, well, it was Clueless, really. And William, my husband, loves a very detailed exploration of a specific battle in a specific war. That's his dream documentary scenario. I'm really beginning to feel warmly towards William. Really? Yeah, I would say, okay. okay. I mean, if it was the Battle of Stalingrad and Panzer Divisions in the Southwest, that's kind of my stuff too, I'm afraid. Wow. And what is it that you like? I mean, I could have asked my husband this once, but I never have. (laughs) Instead, I'm lobbying for Clueless. What is it that you like about it? That's a really good question. I think partly I I noticed when I was working a lot of time in a residential home with people at the end of their lives, 
Mm-hmm. And rather heartbreakingly, women would often cry for their mothers when death was at the door. Mm-hmm. But men would often lapse into drill. I mean, this was a generation of men, of course, who were probably went through the war or certainly went through national service. And I think that for some people, maybe it's... I mean, painting with broad brushstrokes here but perhaps Mm. with men it's this idea of imposing some kind of order and command in the world maybe that's what i like because i've just had the most humiliating experience in the co-op in uppingham where Mm. i managed to not work the machine properly and the lady Mm. behind the till just got really cross with me and i wanted to say to her look i'm not stupid i just don't understand your thing and Mm. And I realise that i often am filled with dread when i have to sort of head out into the world because i can't really work machinery very well park mm-hmm. the car reverse parking i've just got a new plug-in car and trying to get the bloody electricity to go in it nightmare and, <laughs> and, and things like you know, self-service tills or mm. you know security at heathrow those sorts of things i just i sometimes just wanted to be i don't know arrested and strip searched and just get the bad <laughs> all the bad over with but just get it all out the way so I don't have to be anxious about it anymore. So I like this idea of, yes. of someone having influence. And, 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 and my father was in the middle. My father, actually, William, your husband, would have loved my father because he was in the Royal Tank Regiment. And, uh, okay, wow. And, uh, and saw he was on service in Korea. Um, and also have lots of friends in, in the military. And I've come to have great fascination and, and respect for i did some stuff with the royal marines um through the chaplain's department there mm-hmm. and uh and i think what i loved about it's what i love about football mm-hmm. it's unambiguous results as i live in a world where results if discernible are often very ambiguous you know Mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. a director you'll know exactly what i mean in the in the arts all those parts of our lives which are unclear or fuzzy in some ways you you have to live with ambiguity and of course i wouldn't want not to live with ambiguity but i rather envy people who live in the world my brother-in-law who i adore is a referee football ref mm. he's also the mascot for chorley fc victor the magpie <laughs> so he dresses up as no a way total way um but i love i love the fact that he gets a win or lose a draw mm. and i wish you know perhaps in, li- in life, that's later in life too, you think more about the the person you might have been had you not been the person you are. That's mm-hmm. kind of interests me. Mm. It's interesting to hear that because the thing I can't get my head around about football, for example, and I know this is, I'm in the minority here, and I think it's almost like a software issue. I don't think I have this software installed, but when I see people cheering on the side for the result that you're talking about, I... My honestly, I remember the first times I ever saw it. I was like, "Do you know someone on the pitch? Is that why you're?" I just, I didn't. Go, <laughs> girl. This... Yeah, it's like I just can't get invested because I'm like, I don't think it matters, yeah. and I know that's stupid. It's not. It's st- not. It's well, not. You know. It's not stupid at all. But I, I think football allows men, in particular, to express and rehearse emotions that they might be. Mm-hmm reluctant to or slower to in everyday lives interesting men who never sing sing like tenor angels at football matches it's extraordinary to hear and see and i think that's partly and with me it started off because i kind of rather fancied gary lineker Mm. and then i sort of because is you know strapping lad and everything and charming yeah and i started watching football because i started thinking oh no, I can't really there. and then after a while i realized that i started to be able to spot 
recognised footballers in long shot from their position mm-hmm. and style of play. And then I thought, yeah. oh, oh, I seem to be getting into football. And then before you knew it, I was. I know. And I should probably know this, but what team do you support? Well, I'm an Arsenal fan because okay. uh, this came upon me when I was living in Islington, so that was compulsory. Um, mm-hmm. And also a very good friend of mine is connected with the with the club, so that sort of happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also a, a fan of Chorley FC because Mark, my brother-in-law, is uh, their mascot, Victor the Magpie. He won the mascots race at, uh, <laughs> at Epsom last year. Is that what I'm thinking, that everyone dresses in the mascot and runs around the course? Yeah, they do. They have a running race at Epsom <laughs> for, at the Derby, and uh, he, he won. He beat... Wow. There was a giant bee from, I think it might have been Cleethorpes, I can't remember, somewhere like that. Okay. <laughs> he took it very seriously, though, and he didn't wear his magpie feet. He wore uh, plim- uh, running pumps instead, so he did have a bit of an advantage. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to call that cheating. Maybe with, what are they called, studs in the bottom? No, what do you wear when you run to make you faster? Spikes. spikes. So it used to be spikes, didn't it? Studs is mm. football, spikes is running, I don't know. But then he did the London yes. Marathon, too, so... Go Mark. And what is their nickname? Are they called the Magpies? Or the is Magpies, else? yeah. They're like they every, are, that unoriginally, every club that plays in black and white stripes is called the Magpies. So, for yeah. instance, Newcastle are also the Magpies. So yeah. you have to kind of, you know, give some sort of clarificatory note to your cry of, Magpies, not not you, but Chorley, Magpies, <laughs> not the other Magpies. Yeah, I can't imagine there's a lot of crossover with Chorley fans and Newcastle fans, so they kind of... Um, not really, yeah. no. But the Northwest is a law unto itself and uh you know the northeast doesn't really exist for them i don't think (laughs) related to your thing you're saying about men would shout drill when they were sort of in their final moments and that kind of repetition gives you an insight into you know common traits people come to you don't they and they come to tell you things they come to share things and they come for guidance and i i wondered if there are things that you see come up over and over again. Like, what are the... I just can't work. It's, this is bloody machine, my phone and the answering machine. I don't know how to stop it, but I'll just keep stopping it. I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> okay, don't I, worry. I was don't really worry. enjoying where this question was going. This podcast is constantly interrupted by dogs barking, delivery men, so please don't worry. There you go. You know, as you stand as somebody who has an insight into so many people's lives, like a therapist, what are those questions that people ask you most well the number one question is what's the difference between a rectory and a vicarage which is not an interesting (laughs) question at all but i could deal with that in short order i mean i would love to tell you that there's a constant stream of people in spiritual anguish who come to come to Mm -hmm. the door and ask for um spiritual guidance it's not really like that sometimes it happens Mm -hmm. the weirdest one i got was it was quarter to six in the morning, and I'm an early riser, so I was up, but I was in my pyjamas and my dressing gown. There was a ring on the door bell. That sometimes happens here. Mm-hmm. So I came and answered the door, and there was a man wearing combat gear holding a shotgun. And I thought, oh, so this is how it ends for me. And I thought <laughs> I was about to be shot on the doorstep by someone who was angry. Um, <laughs> actually, it was an inquiry about a baptism. And it was one of the uh, guys who works on a farm who was going to shoot rabbits. Odd time of day to call. And anyway, that, so that was, uh, anyway, we sorted out the baptism and all, all went well. The, the stuff that wow. is interesting, Chris, is the stuff you fall into, is the, is the stuff that doesn't begin as that sort of a conversation. And it's often mm-hmm. people who you just fall into conversation with on a train, in the street, 
on the hoof and all of a sudden they will start telling you stuff that I don't think they intended to tell you either. But there is some really deep... It's one of the reasons why I think, you know, no one's interested in the church, actually. Mm -hmm. No one's interested in singing hymns. No one's interested in hearing me preach. No one's interested in Christian doctrine. But they are interested in people who do it. They're interested Mm -hmm. in clergy. And I think it's Mm -hmm. partly because there is some deep cultural memory that the priest is the person who you say things to. And mm. so even if you, you know, this is people who have no particular religious affiliation or experience at all, but they will often see you as a as a as someone to talk to. And I've been told the most extraordinary things. Is that because you're good at listening as well? Do you think you give people space or is it the dog collar? Well, I think it begins with the dog collar, but I've learned to be a good... I mean, when I first was ordained... I would sometimes sort of interrupt people to tell them about my own experience, which I thought was perhaps a little more interesting, until I realised that that was not appropriate. I remember doing, I'd see a man who was telling me about how his one of my first funerals, there was a chap whose wife had died, and she had died of a very, of an awful disease, and he was telling me about it, and I interrupted him to, which I thought, to say something useful, and he just held up a finger to stop me. And I wow. said, I was, right, okay, and said, so, I, so I've learnt to shut up, and... Mm-hmm. I'm a quite a loquacious person, Chris, as you may have already noticed. Um, <laughs> so that was a discipline. And then I've learned yeah. to listen carefully. And the stuff people tell you is extraordinary. And you know, it's, it's, wherever you, you know, there's this kind of great myth, isn't it, that sort of interesting lives are lived in only certain sorts of places and by certain sorts of people, and other people's lives are not worth uncovering or attending to. And, of course, that's nonsense, and that wherever you mm. go, you'll find people will tell you extraordinary things and have done extraordinary things will be bearing burdens that you had no idea of or have done wonderful wonderful things yes and i i feel like i've had a version of that with this podcast uh-huh. it has it, it has meant that you have it conversations with because you know we talk to really famous people like yourself but we also talk to um our listeners loads or we talk to people who are doing f- you know, incredible things in the community where mm. they decide they're going to take it upon themselves to help young LGBT people or whatever. And it is the most enriching thing to have those conversations. And actually a podcast sort of forces an environment where you would talk for an hour, I imagine in a way you're describing as a vicar. Yes, I think that's right. The, the, the other thing with us, though, is that for start, we have we can perhaps access people who otherwise might not speak readily. And some of the most memorable and moving conversations i've had are with people who are talking about i mean one of the reasons i wrote the book was i was just fascinated on the long-term effects of trauma Mm -hmm. so because of where i am and when i am i have seen into eternity the last of those who fought in the second world war and Mm -hmm. sometimes on a deathbed they would tell me stuff about what they'd experienced what they'd suffered what they'd inflicted that Mm. was breathtaking and you know I remember a guy died, and he had been a medic, uh, army medic, and he had been in the Pacific Theatre of War, and he had been taken prisoner by the Japanese in the Philippines, I think. He was in prison camp in the Philippines, and then in mainland Japan, and had had the most horrendous experiences. He was 18 years old, and uh, and he died. And afterwards, I was talking to his sons, and I was saying, you know, do we want to talk about that? And they said, what? And I said, well, you know, your father's experience in the camps in Japan. And they said, hmm. They never said anything about it. Mm. And I think often people, one way of dealing with trauma, it's actually a way of not dealing with trauma, is to just leave it behind you. And I grew up in the 80s through the AIDS crisis, and Mm. I was 60 last week, and I had a big party. 
and lots of my friends came who walked with me through those years and half of us uh, didn't survive because mm. you know who we were when we were yeah. and it's only now 35 years later that mm -hmm. we're able to talk about that as a group of people and to understand mm. the effect it had on the rest of our lives and those around us. So that mm -hmm. really interests me. And sometimes the effects of trauma, those long-term effects of trauma, can produce startling behaviour. And that's partly what the book's about, is how long-term mm. trauma can produce startling behaviour. And, and did you have for yourself, when David died, a sense that you wanted to speak about it in order to not experience some of that startling behavior oh, that's a really good question i think when it happened i wanted to write it down because i didn't i said i could i knew that he had gone and mm -hmm. i wanted to hang on to, i think lots of people are bereaved especially as traumatically bereaved hard to think of a room which isn't traumatic but mm. i i just sensed him disappearing vanishing into the universe and i wanted to hang on to as much as i could shore up the fragments if you see what i mean mm. so i did and i wrote sort of in, uh, almost kind of in a grip of something because i just wanted to capture it and i think also it was a way of dealing with uh, you know it's a, bo a bomb goes off you're blown up and you're all over the place and you true what mm. you, you can to try to hold yourself together or fit into the world and then of course lockdown happened very soon after david died so i was on my own dealing with that and writing it down became an important part of processing it makes it sound like a sausage it's not like <laughs> that but it, it's just mm. trying to hang on to things i think was it philip larkin said the instinct to preserve lies at the bottom of all art or something like that and and i think it was mm. this thing about keeping preserving that's the end of part one. Stay tuned for part two with Reverend Richard Coles and many japes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Powered by Spirit Studios.